0: Welcome to the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I'm Deborah Herlax Enos, a small town girl turned TV nutritionist and healthy living expert. I design health programs for the average guy or gal, including those average guys named Metallica. On September 1st, 2020, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I asked every oncologist the same question, why did I get cancer? But none of my doctors had good answers for me. I wanted answers and that's why I started this podcast. I want to help you to lower your cancer risk and provide self-care tips for those in the battle. I'm getting answers and I want to share them with you. What did I take away from today's episode? Dr. Jantz really believes that we are in a sleep epidemic. He even has patients who wake up in the middle of the night gasping for air, quite literally having a panic attack while they sleep. His recommendation is to stay off of screens at least an hour before bed. And then I asked him my final question, which was, can toxic people give you cancer? Stay tuned for today's episode to hear his surprising answer. Well, welcome, Dr. Jantz, to Why Did I Get Cancer? And I was thinking the first time we met, do you remember the first time we met?
1: The first time we met? No, I don't. I think it's been a while ago.
0: It's been probably 12 years or so, and we were in the green room at King5NBC, and I was preparing for my segment, you were preparing for your segment, and we were kind of looking at each other, and finally we said... Do you go to City Church? We realized we both went to the same church.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, just how God brings people together. And here we are today.
0: (laughs) And here we are today talking about mental health, your new book, The Anxiety Reset, and cancer. Lots to unpack today. But I'd like to actually start with your work And it's been 30 years, and you talk about whole person healing. And I'd like to just have you explain more to our audience about your work at the center, A Place of Hope.
1: You got it. So it was actually 38 years ago that my wife and I, my wife's name is LaFond. that we kind of had a vision for whole person care. I had worked at a women's prison and delivering mental health services. How about that? And from there, we had a vision for uh, building something a little different for the delivery of mental health. And so we we have dietitians on staff. We've got naturopathic physicians on staff. We've got mental health counselors, addiction counselors, let's see, uh, fitness. And we had a vision to bring it all together and to build a team of professionals for each person that would come through uh, and to really personalize how we want to do mental health service. So do it a little different, do it a little whole person. And we even do cooking classes in the evening. So uh, we're what's called a, a partial hospital, and uh, we have about fifty. We call them beds, but they're really beautiful condos and so forth. So it's a little different. It's not a hospital setting. And uh, this year in August will be thirty-eight years.
0: Oh my gosh! And I, I know, I, I, I visited the center probably. 9 years ago, 10 years ago and I had lunch with you and your beautiful wife LaFon and she's also a recent cancer survivor, isn't she?
1: Yes, she is. I think we're we're about to cross the threshold of 9 years, I believe it is. So Oh
0: my gosh, so not so recent. Can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to support her and then who supported you during that season? of watching her battle.
1: We have two sons. Uh, So if we rewind nine years ago, um, they were much younger. One is married now and one's in college. So there you go. Things uh, progress. Um, You know, cancer is always the... Terribly unwanted surprise that is uh, not only shocking, but uh, for a spouse and for a person going through it, um, the experience uh, is is different. And what we went through, um, there were the dark days, and I remember some of the dark days. It seemed like the chemo uh, for LaFon. It went extra long, and and it's like, okay, we're done, but no, we're not done, and it just, you know, kept going. And I remember that there was a day that LaFon was uh, in bed. Of course, she had lost all her hair, looking very fragile and very weak. Where my oldest son asked the question, "Is Mom going to live?" And so you're confronted with the experience in the family of. Uh, The fear that comes through and what fear can do in a person who is in the middle of all this, what fear can do to a family. And so uh, we really, and LaFond was great, interviewed three different doctors and came up with really, a, a, I think, a prayerful plan. But it was there were some dark days, and there were some uh, days where you're wondering, is, wow, what's, what's the future hold? Um, so there's a mode where you're kind of in, a, at least I was, more of a crisis mode. you're just doing what you have to do each day. you know, You got to get the kids to school. Um, let's see, you got to feed them, you know, this, the things you have to do each day. Um, and so, but after you come out of a crisis mode, there is kind of a maintaining, what are we going to do, uh, really to rebuild our lives? And so, um, there was an opportunity to make a, a lot of changes. i have to tell you, though, I've always loved nutrition. My nutrition is probably better than ever. <laughs> so. <laughs> I bet it is, <laughs> um, and and everything that we were uh, teaching or everything that we were about, we had a chance to really make sure we were p- doing what we were preaching. So there was a couple of major turning points, though. You know, turning point—you realize that man, I I'm not in control, and your faith. In my case, your faith can be deepened and deepened, and LaFon started a routine. Some point during the chemo, and the routine was she would go to the same chair every day. So predictable, and she'd sit there, you know, <laughs> fragile, you know. And I had to, I had to get help uh, together and make sure we had everything covered. But she'd sit there, and she had a journal, and I don't know how she did it, um, but she would begin to uh, everyday journal. At some point, she shared, "Well, I'm keeping a gratitude journal." I go oh okay <laughs> gratitude journal good
0: um, wow while well, she's in this frail state getting chemo you know, pumped into her veins and she still found gratitude that's
1: been a while ago and I can tell you that she is still doing a gratitude journal today and it's there's quite a few journals uh, now and I, I you know. I don't know that I could think I can think of a few things, but how do you do this every day? <laughs> you know? Right.
0: Right. And that consistency and that routine. You know, just like you said, she had the same chair she sat in for chemo. And now she's got this consistent routine too with the gratitude journal. So maybe she finds hope in that routine and consistency.
1: Right. And that's one of the things that emerged. And at some point, you know, I kind of They go, hey, uh, LaFon, am I anywhere in your journal? (laughs) It's a good question (laughs) to ask. know, uh, am I in there? Um, But um, not long ago, I asked her, I go, how many, can I share your story? She said, yes. I said, well, how many... How many gratitudes, or I mean, I've never looked at it. I don't know what's what's in there. And she says, "I'm up to 20,000. It's like twenty thousand four hundred and something. Oh, so she numbers go, them. Up. That's awesome. So each one is numbered, and I go, "How in the world you've twenty thousand four hundred and something gratitudes? How do you do that?" And really, what ha- really what happened. Uh, for me was when she said, well, I think it's part of what kept me alive. And then I realized gratitude, when we're going through cancer or a tough medical diagnosis, there is a power in gratitude. It's beyond what we can imagine. There's a spiritual side to it. And so uh, she began to foster uh, optimism about the future, uh, optimism about her future uh, through gratitude. So there was really a journey and a walk that that took her through that um, was both spiritual, both healing. And uh, we know that gratitude and forgiveness over time can alter and change uh, brain chemistry.
0: So I love that. So what you're saying is gratitude over time can change brain chemistry. What does that do to the physical body and maybe opportunity for diseases like cancer?
1: Yeah, what we know is, um, and it's fascinating because there's been some Multiple great studies on gratitude and optimism, and uh, what it does to us, how it does foster um, a positive future if we can really understand what gratitude's all about, because it changes the perspective from being self-absorbed with everything that's going on to outward, and puts you in a place of gratitude for others. So it, it changes a lot of things. I don't mean it's easy. I don't. And I, I think it takes some practice to get there. But one gratitude leads to the next leads to the next. And that's I couldn't believe you could think of so many things. Well, what we know is dopamine levels are Can be released in the brain. That's an important uh, chemical. Uh, Serotonin levels can be altered, particularly. We see this in uh, forgiveness and people who really are initiators of forgiveness. And this is helpful. We may be struggling with depression. We may have a lot of anxieties, which would be normal. So, any way that we can help elevate certain chemicals in the brain, we certainly want to do that. Right.
0: Okay. So, I had not heard that before. To recap, you said the person that initiates forgiveness gets a gets a tremendous benefit
1: yes there are benefits to forgiveness and there've been some really very fascinating longitudinal studies over time about what happens to a person that practices forgiveness and um, what we know is they do score higher on test of optimism so that means if i'm forgiving person i'm seeing a more of a positive future i'm more optimistic and who would have ever known that Money and studies would have been done on the topic of forgiveness, but it's been done, as well as gratitude. So if we can keep ourselves in a more of a healing environment of of really positive, if you will, uh, emotions and positive uh, well-being, uh, that's really uh, what we want to do if we're going through something really tough.
0: I think you all know how much I love Butcherbox. Probably the biggest driver for me is the quality, and I love that Butcherbox focuses on small family fisheries so they know who's fishing the for the sockeye salmon, and they also focus on small family ranches where again, they visit these ranches and they they know that these animals are being treated humanely, and that is probably my biggest driver. I also had many of you reach out to me and tell me, hey, I want to try ButcherBox, but I don't want to commit to a full year. So I have great news for you. You can go ahead and use my code And sign up for as long as you want. Of course, right now we're doing the free bison in every box and you still get the free bison in every box and $20 off of your first box. So all you have to do is go to butcherbox.com forward slash Enos and then use the code Enos and then you're going to get $20 off of your first order and then free bison in every box for up to a year. This is a great opportunity to just try out ButcherBox without having to commit to 12 months. I have to tell you, I get so excited when I get that delivery box at my front door because I know it's going to be incredibly high quality protein that honestly, I can't get at any supermarkets near my home. So give ButcherBox a try. I think you'll love them. Okay. I've got some huge takeaways already. (laughs) And now I want to shift a little bit to anxiety. And I'm a very optimistic person and I'm, I have a, I've started a gratitude journal. I'm going to shift it to the way LaFon is doing it where I'm numbering because I just love that she's got 20,000 things over the last nine years that she's grateful for. And I think that's just such a great testimony to, to God. Um, but now we're in this the last two years anxiety off the charts. And I wouldn't necessarily consider myself an anxious person on an ongoing basis. I'll have episodes. But in the last two years, I really have had more. Can you tell us more about your book, The Anxiety Reset? And do you have any tips for getting out of anxiety that you can share with us?
1: Yeah, we're living in a last two and a half years or so of significant anxiety. It was... The World Health Organization, they say a lot of things, but one of the things they said was um, depression was at the top of the list here a few years ago for mental health issues across the world. Depression, that's interesting. But now uh, anxiety and anxiety disorder has taken its place. Uh, So we know if you have anxiety, you usually have some physical symptoms. Uh, Your heart rate goes up, blood pressure may go up. You get sweaty palms. uh, You have difficulty making decisions. Uh, We have this little prefrontal cortex, the, the front of our forehead, Is where the part of the brain where we process our decision making. You know, sometimes you're really impulsive if you're anxious. Other times you just can't make a decision. We know that anxiety is is not healing for the body. But we also know the anxiety is that pandemic anxiety uh, is something that certainly we've all experienced. And here's why we've been in a chronic period of, I would say, chronic stress and anxiety, and we still have unknown futures. So any, and we did a lot of isolation. So anytime we isolate, uh, anxiety goes up. Anytime that we have a lot of unknowns about our future, anxiety goes up. So what we've all experienced has been pretty normal. We just can't stay there. So, and that's my point is this is the time to really look at what I need to do in my self-care uh, we call it reset. What I need to reset with myself, uh, and again, that's whole person. what I need to work on in my faith to reset. Where's my point of focus? You probably noticed if you're full of anxiety, it's hard to look beyond yourself. We become uh, right. self-absorbed. And I'll use my wife as an example again. Here, you know, a couple years into this, she uh, goes, man, I need She's <laughs> kind of funny. She goes, I need help. This, is controlling me, and I'm anxious every day, and I can't live that way. Um, I'm walking around the house listening to constant podcasts, I'm oversaturating with news. And so we made a decision, and this is kind of a family decision, but to put personal guardrails in about what are we gonna allow into our lives, because it's all negative negative. Right now, people don't know what to trust, so there's huge distrust. Um, so a lot of times, we're believing things that may not even be true. So we sat down, and on her on her device, we began to unsubscribe, delete this ad and that. And it was so funny because she goes, "Okay." Now, if anything happens, you're going to have to tell me because I won't know. Now, um, not that she's got blinders on but, um, and she's aware of things, but not being controlled by it. So anxiety, we've got to be careful. What are we going to allow in? because we've been so saturated with the negative. So that's one of the first things. Well, what am I allowing in most of the time?
0: Well, and I know that the Bible even says you have to protect your peace. And if I think about protecting something, I'm going to protect my home. I'm going to lock my doors. I'm going to protect my health by exercising and eating right. But we can also protect our peace. And I don't think... We were ever intended to take in as much information, as much information as we're all taking in these days. It's just not healthy.
1: No, my goodness. And it ends up controlling us and it interferes with relationships. So, and we also, that ends up being the only thing we're talking about. Go, wow. Isn't that the truth? we We need to go back. Um, what are the things that bring us joy? Uh, by the way, I have to say the joy level I think is is significantly up when we're not being bombarded with all the negative. Now, I don't mean to live in denial; I'm not saying that. But really, we've oversaturated ourselves. Everybody has an opinion, and everybody's giving that opinion. And there's no way you can keep up with everything. <laughs>
0: It's so nor, true. Nor
1: should we? So
0: right. Nor should we. Right, because then I think what we also find is that we end up focusing on each other's differences, and and then we lose the relationship, which for me just drives my anxiety up and my gratitude down. I feel like there's this inverse relationship of when I'm really feeling overwhelmed and anxious. I'm not grateful for anything.
1: Boy, isn't that true? and I, I know these are challenging times. We don't want to ignore that. Um, but what we want to be careful is the chronic anxiety will have a negative effect in every area of our life. And I think of uh, the verse, uh, 2 Timothy um, 1, 2, 7, or, um, that talks about the Lord has given us a spirit of fear. So there's fear. But of power. Oh, I like that. And love. Good. And here's the key word, sound mind. What do I need to do? to rebuild my sound mind and strengthen my sound mind. If I got power, love, and, uh, you know, and a sound mind, what do I need to be doing?
0: And it's, you know, we talked about the gratitude journal, but it's also eating enough good, healthy fats and staying hydrated and getting enough sleep. You know, these are all things that really do contribute to a sound mind.
1: Deborah, we're in a sleep epidemic. Sleep disorders have never been so high Part of that is because of the anxiety. Uh, We're seeing more and more individuals who are, they're waking up in the middle of the night, their heart's racing, they kind of have a cold sweat, they're gasping for air, they're kind of having a panic attack in their sleep. So we have very disrupted sleep. Uh, Too often we're going to bed with a lot of stimulation from all the screens we have in our life, and the last thing in our mind is probably not positive. And so our sleep uh, is being very disruptive. That's really important for healing. We've got to have the healing sleep. The scriptures talk about having a sweet sleep. Man, we need more sweet sleep. Do we <laughs> so, ever? <laughs> so that's one. Of the, that's one of the things we need to work on. Um, you know, what do I do the hour before bedtime? Do I have good pre-sleep routines? What am I and Look, it takes a little while to get that circadian rhythm kind of re, re-triggered back, but we, we can do it. Give yourself a month. Give your, It's all about making some progress every day. Uh, alcohol use is up pretty high. We are in the middle of the highest alcohol sales on record. That's according to the Alcoholic Beverage Association. How about that? Hmm. And uh, during the pandemic, you know, we had all the lockdowns, shutdowns, confinement. <laughs> Confinement, uh, quarantine. Um, Anyway, we were supposed to. We had stay-at-home orders, and so drinking went way up, and alcohol sales went way up. Alcohol was considered essential. Cannabis or pot was considered essential. And actually, we were on behavioral health. uh, We were on the essential list. So how about that? Right up there with alcohol and cannabis. Behavioral health specialist. So uh, that said, we've come through an interesting time. Anxiety's high and alcohol or addictions are up. Uh, a lot of folks uh, who were doing work from home work from home didn't work very well uh, by and large. Uh, we had uh, individuals who well, I start drinking at four o'clock at the end of the day. you know they still got another hour, two hours of work. And then some of the uh, individuals that we've worked with said, you know, I started drinking about one o'clock and, uh, you know, computer programmers, they're drinking through the afternoon as they're working. I remember talking to an HR director at a technology company. I said, how's it going with all the work, virtual work from home stuff? And she said, well, really, despite what you hear, not very well. (laughs) So, um, and so addictions are up. Anytime anxiety's up, addictions go up. Anytime we have uh, addictions, we'll have, you know, a lot of other issues. So, I think what we're going to be seeing is we're going to be seeing more of the health ramifications of what we did the last two and a half years,
0: and so we're we're in this pattern right now of addictions are up. we're we're using um outside substances, and I mean outside of ourselves to. Soothe ourselves Um, instead of figuring out how other ways to deal with anxiety, you know, again, we talked about sleeping better, you know, more healthy fats, um, things like that. You know, so we're in this cycle and it sounds really unhealthy. So, do you believe that we're going to see an uptick in diseases, including cancer? after this you know, unprecedented last couple of years of high anxiety?
1: Sure. It's only my personal prediction based on what we're seeing. Right now, we are in the middle of a mental health crisis. I think the next pandemic is mental health and add on some physical disease issues. Because right now, uh, the need for the mental health services uh, is great, but we don't have enough providers. So uh, the need is greater than our ability to deliver help that is nationwide. Uh, referral resources that we would use throughout the country, they're they're full. They're not taking. We have a local uh, provider of mental health services that told me the other day they have 200 openings for counselors. And um, they're a state-funded facility. They're one of the largest in the state of Washington. And most of their offices are not able to receive any new clients. So we're not We're not doing a good job delivering the mental health services. Now, how about all the folks that because we had something called uh, non-essential or elective health care because we were worried we're going to fill the hospitals up with COVID patients. Okay, but so a lot of people postpone what got called elective. It really wasn't elective. That's a very poor term to describe it. Um, preventative care, uh, bypassing cancer screens, etc. So we're seeing a delayed onset uh, of probably you could say disease conditions, postponed healthcare, uh, that we could have been better and preventative with. So, uh, also our bodies are not designed to live the, la- the way we've been living. You know, the chronic stress, the anxiety that you can't seem to get off of you. And I think there will be um, repercussions and implications for health, both mentally and physically. So are you
0: also saying that kind of how how your mind is? as th- there goes your body or you know however your mind whatever level of health your mind is in your body is in a similar state
1: we know that our mind or our way of thinking can fortify our body, our body's well-being. It's really interesting. A person who struggles from very significant, what we'll call severe clinical depression, thats and they have for a long time. So it's kind of interesting. You can take and look under a microscope at their cells. People look at this on a cellular level. For a chronically depressed person, how do their cells behave? The cells tend to not move. The, As much. This is fascinating to watch. I've seen it. We normally have what we call healthy social cells, and it's fun to watch. A person that's feeling good, um, their cells are moving all around. They're like, they call them social cells. Uh, But when you're severely depressed, your cells on a cellular level, don't tend to move around as much. They kind of isolate. So there's a clumping of cells is kind of the term that was used. So we can see the effects of depression on a cellular level. Oh my
0: gosh. Okay. I have never heard that before. And can you, I would imagine our cells are like our bodies, right? So... If, we, if I want to feel good today, I know I need to walk for at least 20 minutes. I need to do a little yoga, I need to do some deep breathing. So our cells are the same way. So if your cells are clumping and not really moving, then they're probably not as healthy as they could be.
1: Yeah. yeah that movement, what you just mentioned about movement, getting out, so, um, you know, so, so important. Uh, we need that air, we need that oxygen, we need that that movement. Outside is super important, but if you're doing exercise inside, that's fine. Just keep the movement up.
0: So, you know, to, to go back to that depression with the cells not moving, so... It sounds like if you are battling depression, movement is probably one of the best things you can do because it will kind of force those cells to get going.
1: Yeah, movement's super important and do it consistently. Um, You know, a person may say, I don't feel like exercising. I get it because you're depressed. Um, But let's say you get up, you force yourself to go and you're doing some exercise and the next day you go, it didn't make any difference. I'm not going to do it. It takes some time. So anything that we're mentioning today, give 30 plus days or more, minimum of 30 days. It takes some time, but over time, you begin to reap the reward.
0: Okay, it's that's really good advice because, you know, we all get frustrated. You know, we think, okay, I've exercised for four days this week and I, I've only lost half a pound if we're going to just bring it down to, you know, weight loss. And so it you know, consistency is key. And I think that's one of the things that we saw a big challenge with during the the pandemic and lockdowns is that gyms were closed. Now, gyms, in my opinion, are essential, especially in Washington where it rains so much and people don't want to exercise outside and get wet. So it's good to be on an exercise bike or it's good to go to a yoga class. And yeah, so let's um, talk a little bit about community, and which is something a lot of us lost in the last couple of years, or at least it was kind of put on hold. How does how does having a strong community impact your health?
1: Oh, it is so important. And by community, I mean relationships. So, you know, we isolated for a while. We went virtual. We didn't go to church. We did online, this and that. And we we probably dove deep into social media. Well, we still were lonely. And we still are depressed and still anxious. So we need each other. We need in-person relationships. If I could be so bold to say that. Uh, we need one another. We need, we need, we need touch. <laughs> we need, yeah, we need touch. We need hugs. Uh, with all the social rules, the highest uh, level of anxiety right now is social anxiety. Because all the social rules changed. It's like I go out, I see you. I go, okay, do I shake your hand? I don't know. Uh, I certainly don't hug you. You know, because all the rules have changed. So, uh, and it's confusing. So people are readapting to what is normal uh, and what is healthy. But there's still a lot of fear out there.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of fear. and And I think that some of us, you know, we did take kind of a, a relationship break. But I want to talk a little bit about toxic people. And you have a book. How to deal with toxic people. And for many of us, you know, maybe the pandemic magnified that we have. More toxic people than we'd like in our lives. But, and maybe they're our family members, you know, or maybe they're just your neighbors or people you were quarantining with. How do you manage relationships with toxic people? That's my first question. And then number two would be if you're not managing those relationships, can toxic people
1: give you cancer? Well, what we know is um, our relationships are either healing or life giving or they're ultimately toxic? It's hard to find a neutral relationship. And how do you know if a relationship is toxic? How do you feel when you're around that person? Do you feel younger than yourself? Do you feel put down? But what's the emotion when you're around certain people? There are some people that can walk in the room, and they add a joy factor, and you go, wow. And and you're kind of a magnet. You want to talk with them. There are others that can walk in a room, and you sense the radiation of the resentment coming off of them. (laughs) You know? Yeah, they're like, they're so poisonous with uh, resentment or unforgiveness, bitterness. Uh, You see anger that's written all over them. So that's a toxic person. But a toxic person can also be a person that smiles at you and says everything's great. And then they're saying things behind your back about you to hurt you. Uh, So there are passive aggressive people, Uh, there are people that are motivated to harm others. And so uh, you know, they do it secretive and, and they try to talk behind your back. So toxicity of relationships comes in different forms. Um, but remember, you should have three, four individuals, maybe up to five that are Positive, healing, truth telling, praying, trustworthy people in your life. You know, it's hard to have too many, but uh, we need to have a core group that really are life giving relationships. And that's just so important. And where you're being truthful and you know that you can say and share and you will be loved and accepted. So I look at the three basic human needs. We all have a need to be accepted, which means loved, a need to be um, affirmed. So I need to know I have value. And then the need to be acknowledged uh, for who, who you are and that you have a purpose and uh, there's, a, there's a purpose for your life. We have those needs. Um, so are you with people that uh, are empowering to you? Can toxic people, second part of your question, which is really good, can they cause cancer? Oftentimes, they're the ones that develop some sort of a physical disease. The unforgiveness in their life, the anger, that's not healthy. You know, there are times we'll see that the toxic person develops some sort of a physical disease. Now, that may not be the only reason, but certainly those longstanding poisonous emotions is affecting their life.
0: I can really see that. And, and I'm a person that used to really struggle with forgiveness. And I've learned in my cancer journey that forgiveness is, you really do that for your own health, not for the health of the other person and i've i've heard it said that you know unforgiveness is you know i'm drinking the poison expecting they're going to be you know killed by it or injured by it and so i've worked really hard to kind of make my list of you know who do I need to forgive? Starting with myself for maybe some of my change, you know, my choices I've made in my life, um, and so I can really see how toxic emotions can impact your
1: health, and they do. And so this is why: see yourself as an initiator of forgiveness. Be work on being a forgiving person. That doesn't mean you have to like whoever hurt you. Uh, and you know, forgiveness is for us. It's not for the other person. You don't have to see the person to go and forgive them. It's a decision we may make multiple times um, that I am really relieving myself of the poison and the effects of that emotional injury. Okay, now, easier said than done. I will admit that, but it's important we practice it.
0: And as you said, it's practice. It's an ongoing thing, you know, I mean, if you can't just be great at the piano the first time you sit down, you're practicing. And so that actually makes me feel better thinking I need to practice forgiveness. And, it's, and, it's a,
1: and I'm practicing being the initiator. I'm not going to wait around for some other person. I'm going to be the one that initiates it in my own life. So I think that's a key. Sometimes we're waiting to forgive, like, what are you waiting for? Or, or we're waiting for the other person to come to us. No, see yourself as being the initiator of forgiveness.
0: I love that um, for so many reasons. And one, I mean, I think that one of the, our biggest fears is that we're powerless. And by practicing forgiveness, you're actually taking your power back from a situation. Yeah, which I would think would really help you to grow in confidence, but also relieve anxiety and, you know, change your cells at, you know, change your body at a cellular level. So Dr. Jantz, I have um, one final question for you that i like to ask. Um, if there's one thing somebody could do today to lower their risk, of getting cancer or any type of chronic illness, what would it be?
1: Examine, from my perspective, from a mental health perspective, examine the three deadly emotions, anger, fear, and guilt. The anger could be unforgiveness. Anger, just another word for anger, could be hurt. But um, am I poisonous with anger, resentment, unforgiveness? That's the first one. Next one is fear. Um, have I developed a pattern of worry and created a lot of anxiety in my own life? Um, so anxiety, worry, fear. Uh, we've got to deal with fear. Fear is paralyzing on many different levels. And the other one's guilt. Maybe another word for guilt could be Shame Shame says I'm defective. So do I feel shameful um, about my life, about what I've done? Or do I just feel like I'm defective? I'll never be good enough. So those are the three, I call them three deadly emotions, but anger, fear, and guilt. I need to be able to deal with those emotions successfully in order to be healthy emotionally.
0: So well said. I... (laughs) That's a lot to unpack, but as you said, you know, just, just take a look at it, just examine it, and maybe you do it over time, you know, to, probably to unpack all three of those things at lunch today is too much, but just even just taking a look at those things, I would imagine can really start to change us mentally and physically.
1: Oh, yes, just be willing, be humbled, be teachable, mm-hmm. and... uh also, you know, I want to throw gratitude in there. We've mm-hmm. got to, but it's hard to be grateful for full of anger and resentment. So we've got to deal with that.
0: So true. So true. Well, Doctor Greg Jantz, thank you for coming on my podcast today. You have given me so much to think about, and I just can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate you and appreciate um, LaFon. Um, sh- you know, sharing LaFon's story. So please thank her for me. Um, oh yes, she's a cancer. Th- Thriver and I'm just I'm inspired by her gratitude journal. And I'm committing right now on my podcast today that I'm going to start one and I'm gonna number it just like your wife is doing it.
1: It's it's amazing what happens. (laughs) It's beautiful. Well,
0: thank you so much.
1: Be blessed.
0: Thank you for joining me today on the Why Did I Get Cancer podcast. I've got my shopping guide for all of my cancer self-care items in the show notes, along with information about today's guest and our show's sponsors. And don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. I'm just a gal that got diagnosed with cancer and wanted answers. If you need medical advice, please be sure to consult with a medical professional. And thank you for listening.